Lesson 12 for December 14 to 20, Dealing with Bad Decisions. Sabbath afternoon, December 14. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the giver of every good gift, the one who who sent your Son that each of us could have eternal life, and the one who provided us with your word in printed form that we can read and that we can understand because of the working of the Holy Spirit what it is like to know you. And as we open your word this week, we pray that as we look at the faults and uh, bad decisions of others, that we may learn for our own selves how to handle the making of decisions, but also how we can put our trust in you at all times and not doubt you. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6. And I said, O my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Let's read that again, Ezra 9, verse 6. And I said, O my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Ezra and Nehemiah became leaders in communities in which intermarriage with non-Israelites had become the norm. Both leaders were strongly concerned about this, as they wanted to lead the nation into a close relationship with God. They were aware of the negative influence that non-believers or idol worshippers could have on the people of Israel, as they had seen the terrible effects throughout history. The Canaanite religions spread throughout Israel until Baal and Asherah were being worshipped on every high hill. Moreover, the influence that pagan spouses had on the Israelite families was detrimental. Balaam advised the Moabites to send their women to the Israelites, sure that the Israelites would turn away from God as they fell for these women. Unfortunately, he was right. Not only do spouses influence each other, but also their children's faith is impacted. What will Ezra and Nehemiah do with Israel's intermarriage situation? Will they let it go or stand up against it? This week, we will look at the way the two leaders approached this issue. Sunday, December 15. Nehemiah's Reaction Question. Read Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 23 to 25. What happened here, and how do we explain Nehemiah's reaction to the situation? Nehemiah 13, beginning at verse 23. In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Since the children didn't speak Aramaic, 
the language used during the exile, or Hebrew, they couldn't understand the teachings from Scripture. This was a real problem, because the knowledge of God's revelation could thus be distorted and even disappear. The scribes and priests expounded on the Torah mostly in Aramaic in order to make the preaching clear to the people. However, since the mothers were from Ammon, Ashdod and Moab, and were generally the primary caregivers for the children, it is not surprising that the children didn't speak the language of the fathers as well. The language we speak informs the way we think about concepts, because we use the vocabulary of that culture. Loss of the biblical language would have meant losing their special identity. Thus, for Nehemiah, it was unthinkable that families were losing touch with the Word of God and consequently their connection with the living God, the Lord of the Hebrews. Biblical scholars point out that the actions of Nehemiah were most likely a public shaming of the people as part of prescribed punishments at that time. When it says that Nehemiah rebuked them and cursed them, we shouldn't think of Nehemiah using foul language and expletives, but rather that he was speaking over them the curses of the covenant. Deuteronomy 28 outlines the curses that would happen to those who broke the covenant. It is very possible that Nehemiah chose the words of the Bible to bring them to the realization of their wrong actions and the consequences of their poor choices. Moreover, when the text says that Nehemiah beat some of the men and pulled out their hair in Nehemiah 13.25, instead of seeing Nehemiah in a rage and reacting with fury, we should note that a beating was a prescribed form of public punishment. This kind of behaviour was applied only to some of them, meaning to the leaders who caused or promoted this wrong behaviour. These acts were to serve as methods of public shaming. Nehemiah wanted to ensure that the people understood the gravity of their choices and the results that would ensue from them. So to finish today, how should we react when we see what we believe is wrongdoing in the church? Monday, December 16. Nehemiah's Reproof. Question. Read Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 26 and 27. What does this show about how important biblical history is for informing us about the dangers of deviating from the right path? Nehemiah 13, beginning at verse 26. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet, among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? Solomon was led deeper into sin by the choices he made. It would be accurate to say that Solomon caused his own ruin by disobeying God's command for the kings of Israel. As in Deuteronomy 17.17, 17, Neither shall he, the king, multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Solomon's life is used as a negative example, 
Not only did he marry more than one wife, but significantly, as Nehemiah points out, he chose women who were not worshippers of God. Question, why was Nehemiah correct in reproving the nations for intermarriage with pagans? And we have several texts to look at here. First of all, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years." There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And Genesis 24, verses 3 and 4, And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And Genesis 28, 1 and 2. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother, and Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. And Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? The command not to intermarry was not about nationalism, but about idolatry. People in the Bible married non-Israelites. Moses married Zipporah, a Midianite woman. Boaz married Ruth, a Moabite. Instead, the issue with intermarriage in these commands concerns marrying someone who is of a different faith or of no faith. The problem was that the people in Ezra and Nehemiah's time did not choose to marry believers in God. Richard M. Davison, in his book The Flame of Yahweh, published by Peabody in Massachusetts in 2007, states, the Edenic plan for marriage called for a complementary wholeness of two partners in spiritual faith as well as other significant values. End of quote. The pagan wives in this story did not choose to renounce idolatrous worship. Consequently, Nehemiah was perhaps more saddened than outraged by the choices of the people, since to him this demonstrated a lack of real commitment to God. The Bible gives us formulas for practices that will keep us grounded in God and are designed to maximize our happiness. In the same way, the command to be equally yoked in marriage was supposed to help us lead a better life and to encourage mutual devotion to God. So to finish today, what principles can we take from these accounts today that can help us protect our faith and that of our family?
Tuesday, December 17. Ezra reacts. Question. Read Ezra chapter 9. How does Ezra respond to hearing about the Israelites' intermarriages? Ezra 9, 1 and 2 states that the people have not separated themselves. The word separated is used in the following verses as well, and there's a whole series of them. We'll come to read those later. What does the use of this word imply about the issue of a believer marrying an unbeliever? Ezra chapter 9, and in my Bible it's titled, Intermarriage with Pagans. Beginning at verse 1. When these things were done, the leaders came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. With respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. 4. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the people of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. So, when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe, and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard, and sat down astonished." Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice I arose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, and I said, O my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty, and for our iniquities we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation, as it is this day. And now, for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, and to give us a peg in his holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia, to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, our, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, the land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from one end to another, with their impurity. Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us, for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and have given us such deliverance as this. Should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with the people committing these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us, so that there would be no remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, 
you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant, as it is this day. Here we are before you, in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. And Leviticus chapter 10 Verse 10, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. And Leviticus 11, 47, to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, and between the animal that may be eaten, and the animal that may not be eaten. And Exodus 26.33, And you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there, behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. And Genesis 1, verses 4, And God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And verse 6, Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And verse 8, or verse 7, Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And verse 14, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And verse verse 18, And to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. The people approached Ezra with the issue of intermarriage themselves. The terminology they used by listing the nations involved in abominations demonstrated their knowledge of the Torah as the list is taken directly from biblical accounts. Interestingly, the civil leaders brought the news to Ezra as even the spiritual leaders of the nation, priests and Levites, were guilty of this transgression. And then, from Prophets and Kings, page 670, in his study of the causes leading to the Babylonish captivity, Ezra had learned that Israel's apostasy was largely traceable to their mingling with heathen nations. He had seen that if they had obeyed God's command to keep separate from the nations surrounding them, they would have been spared many sad and humiliating experiences. Now, when he learned that notwithstanding the lessons of the past, men of prominence had dared transgress the laws given as a safeguard against apostasy, his heart was stirred within him. He thought of God's goodness in again giving his people a foothold in their native land, and he was overwhelmed with righteous indignation and with grief at their ingratitude. End of quote. The word separate or separate is used for contrasting entities. In fact, it denotes complete opposites. By this statement, the people acknowledged a prior understanding and knowledge of God's command to stay away from false religions. They understood that no one could say that he or she will marry a spouse whose contrasting beliefs will have no impact on the marriage relationship or how they raise their children. They realized how serious the situation had become. So to finish today... What can we do to seek to keep faith alive in our homes and families, even if we have made wrong decisions in the past?
Wednesday, December 18, Ezra Acts. Question, read Ezra chapter 10. How did Ezra and the leaders tackle the issue of intermarriage? Ezra 10, beginning at verse 1. Now, while Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel. For the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God, and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet... Now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them, according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehonan, the son of Elishab, and when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity." And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem, and that whoever would not come within three days, according to the instructions of the leaders and elders, all his property would be confiscated, and he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from the captivity. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth of the month, and all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. Then All the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do. But there are many people. It is the season for heavy rain, and we are not able to stand outside. Nor is this the work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand, and let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times, together with the elders and judges of their cities, until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter." Only Jonathan, the son of Asel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this, and Meshalam and Shabbatai, the Levite, gave them support. Then the descendants of the captivity did so, and Ezra the priest, with certain heads of the father's households, were set apart by the father's households, each of them by name, and they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. By the first day of the first month they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. And among the sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brothers, Messiah, Eleazar, Jerob, and Gedaliah. 
And they gave their promise that they would put away their wives, and being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as their trespass offering. Also of the sons of Emma, Hanani and Zebediah, and the sons of Hiram, Messiah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jehiel, and Isaiah, and the sons of Pasha, Eleniah, Messiah, Ishmael, Nathaniel, Josedbad, and Elasa, also of the Levites, Josabad, Shimai, Keliah, the same as Kalita, Pethahiah, Judah, and Eliasa, also of the singers, Eliashib, and the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telem, and Uri, and others of Israel, of the sons of Parosh, Remiah, Josiah, Malchiah, Medjam, Eliasa, Milkaijah, and Benaniah, of the sons of Elam, Methaniah, Zechariah, Jehael, Adri, Jeremoth, and Eliah, of the sons of Zatu, Eloianai, Eliashib, Mataniah, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Azizah, of the sons of Bebai, Jehonanan, Hananiah, Zebiah, and Athali, of the sons of Bani, Meshalem, Malak, Adiah, Jashub, Sheel, and Ramoth, of the sons of Pehath Moab, Adna, Chalal, Benaniah, Masiah, Mathaniah, Bezalel, Beno, and Manasseh, of the sons of Harim, Eliezer, Ishajah, Malkijah, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Malak, and Shemariah, of the sons of Hashem, Matanai, Matatha, Zabad, Eliphalet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and Shimei, of the sons of Bani, Madai, Amram, Yuel, Beniah, Bediah, Chalul, Vaniah, Miramoth, Eliashib, Mataniah, Matanai, Jasai, Banai, Binai, Shimai, Shalamiah, Nathan, Adonai, Machnabadbai, Shashai, Sharai, Azrael, Shalamiah, Shemariah, Shalom, Amariah, and Joseph, of the sons of Nebai, Jael, Mattathiah, Zabad, Zebediah, Jedi, Joel, and Beniah. All these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Together the whole assembly decided to send the foreign wives away. Amazingly, even those who married them agreed with the plan, except for the four men mentioned by name in Ezra 10 verse 15. Only Jonathan the son of Ashel and Jehaziah the son of Tikvah opposed this, and Meshalem and Shabbatai the Levite gave them support. The Jews promised to send their spouses away, and it took three months for the plan to be carried out. In the end, 111 Jewish men sent their wives away, as we just read in Ezra 10 verses 18 to 43. Interestingly, the last verse, verse 44, states that some of these mixed marriages already had children, Ezra 10.44. All these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Sending away the mothers with families with children doesn't seem rational or even right to us. However, we must remember that this was a unique time during which God was starting over with the Jewish nation, and in a sense, they with him. 
fully following God's required radical measures. The specific words used in Ezra 10, 11 and 19 for separate yourself, Bardel, and put away, Yatsa, are not used anywhere else in the scripture for divorce. Let's read those two verses. Ezra 10, verse 11, Now therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. And verse 19, And they gave this promise that they would put away their wives and being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as their trespass offering. Ezra would have known the terminology regularly used for divorce, but he chose not to use it. Thus, it is apparent that Ezra did not consider the marriages valid after it was discovered that they were in violation of the Torah command. In other words, the marriages were nullified because they were contrary to the law. The process was dissolution of invalid marriages. However, we are not given information on what happened to those wives and children and what impact this action had on the community. According to the custom of that time, the former husbands would have taken care of the transfer of their former wives and their children. The wives normally would have gone back to their native father's homes. Over time, however, some Jewish men once again began to marry unbelievers, and perhaps some even returned to the wives they'd sent away. The fleeting nature of the solution can be attributed to human nature and our up-and-down cycle of commitment to God. Even those of us who consider ourselves strong believers have to admit that we have gone through periods of lesser dedication to God, when our walk with Him could have accurately been described as wanting. Unfortunately, humanity struggles with putting God first. So to finish today, What has been your experience with times of lesser dedication to God? What have you learned from those experiences? Thursday, December 19, Marriage Today From what we've seen in Ezra and Nehemiah about this issue of mixed marriages, it's clear that God takes marriage seriously and that we should as well. We should prayerfully consider a potential marriage partner and include God in the decision-making, and we should decide to be faithful to God's principles which can protect us from much sadness and misery. Question Look up how Paul was dealing with this issue when a Christian had an unbelieving spouse. Study carefully 1 Corinthians seven ten to 17 How should we approach marriages that are unequally yoked together? 1 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse 10. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from a husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. 
For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord hath called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. Because we have no elaborate command in the Bible on what to do with interfaith marriages, it would be very unwise and run against the intention of the text and its principles to insist that separating from the unbelieving spouse is the right approach and based on this account by Ezra must be recommended. Ezra, Nehemiah's situation was a one-time event, and according to God's will, as we read in Ezra 10.13, Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land, and from the pagan wives. Because the future and worship of the whole community of Israel was at risk. They were losing their identity as worshippers of a living God. We know that in the Jewish elephantine settlement in Egypt, contemporary with Ezra and Nehemiah, the leaders allowed intermixed marriages and shortly developed a mixed religion with Yahweh and his pagan consort, the goddess Anat. Additionally, the messianic line was in danger. Therefore, this one-time event shouldn't be taken as a prescription for the breaking up of marriages and families whenever a believer marries an unbeliever. Instead, the account does demonstrate the high value God places on equally yoked partnership in marriage. Satan is happy when we end up married to a person who does not encourage devotion to God, because he knows that if both spouses have the same conviction, then they will be stronger in their mission work for God than if just one is faithful. While the Bible clearly counsels against unequally yoked marriages, 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, we also find passages of extended grace to those who have made a different choice. God empowers those who have married unbelievers to be faithful to God and their spouses. God doesn't abandon us, even when we make choices contrary to his will, and if we ask him for help, he will provide it. This doesn't mean that we do whatever we want and then expect God to bless us nevertheless, but rather that when we come to him with a need and a humble heart, he always hears. Without God's grace, there would be no hope for any of us, because we are all sinners. Friday, December 20. From the book Prophets and Kings, page 676, we read, Industry in a God-appointed duty is an important part of true religion. Men should see circumstances as God's instruments with which to work His will. 
prompt and decisive action at the right time will gain glorious triumphs, while delay and neglect result in failure and dishonour to God. If the leaders of the cause of truth show no zeal, if they are indifferent and purposeless, the church will be careless, indolent and pleasure-loving. But if they are filled with a holy purpose to serve God and Him alone, the people will be united, hopeful, eager. The Word of God abounds in sharp and striking contrasts. Sin and holiness are placed side by side, that beholding we may shun the one and accept the other. The pages that describe the hatred, falsehood and treachery of Sanballat and Tobiah describe also the nobility, devotion and self-sacrifice of Ezra and Nehemiah. We are left free to copy either as we choose. The fearful results of transgressing God's commands are placed over against the blessings resulting from obedience. We ourselves must decide whether we will suffer the one or enjoy the other. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. As we read these stories, it seems clear that many of the people weren't dedicated to God in the first place, which is why they chose pagan wives. Thus, Ezra doesn't just leave them to their own devices, but attempts to reprove and correct them in hopes of achieving change. Did the change truly occur, though? By changing their behaviour, did they change within? Did their devotion to God truly grow? What evidence do we have that many of them didn't really change? What can we learn from their mistakes about how important a change of heart really is? Two, what are ways that we can help those in our church who might be struggling with the problems that come with unwise marriages? Three, though God's principles are eternal and absolute, cultures vary greatly. Why must we keep these differences in mind as we seek to apply God's principles to our own lives and situations? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled God's Math, and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. Jenny Becker, a genteel South African with wavy blonde hair, was deployed into Vietnam's capital with $2 million and the momentous task of establishing the Seventh day Adventist Church's first urban centre of influence in the Southeast Asian country. Becker, however, struggled to find a suitable property in Hanoi. The asking price for a vacant lot topped two million and often approached three million to four million. Becker prayed as he made trip after trip to Hanoi from the Singapore-based headquarters of the Adventist Church's Southeast Asian Union Mission, where he works as special assistant to the President. I've lost count of how many trips I've made to Vietnam, Becker said. It may be fifteen... Or twenty, maybe. Becker was assigned the job after Adventist Church President Ted N. C. Wilson appealed for a community centre to serve the people of Hanoi in 2014. 
Wilson, who spoke after visiting the city and leading milestone evangelistic meetings in Ho Chi Minh City, pledged to help raise the needed funds, with the understanding that he would match the amount contributed by the Southern Asia-Pacific Division and Southeast Asia Union Mission. In the end, the Adventist World Church gave $1 million and the Division and Union each gave $500,000. But Becker couldn't find a plot of land. The properties that he inspected cost too much or were badly located. A potential deal fell through. Then a friend of a friend introduced Becker to a developer who owned a lot and was constructing a seven-storey building on it. The developer wanted only $1.8 million for everything. The moment that Becker saw the property, he knew it was perfect. Bureaucracy and other snags delayed the purchase for months. Another buyer caught wind of the property and offered a larger amount of money. Becker kept praying, and the developer ultimately rejected the new offer, saying the Adventist plan sought to benefit the community and not enrich the owners. Becker beamed with joy on May 22, 2018, as Wilson and other leaders inaugurated the seven-storey building, which will house a bookstore, a health food store, a foreign language school, a music school, a health centre, address Vietnam headquarters, and meeting halls for two congregations. God came through in a more miraculous way than I ever ever anticipated, Becker said. He gave us more than we prayed for. We give all honour and glory to him. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. It is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department, and through the services of Christian Services for the Blind. A video of this podcast also occurs on YouTube. Remember, God is always faithful.